0: Welcome to the Perfectly Integrated Podcast, hosted by Matt Ackerman, where we show the power of teamwork in wealth management.
1: Now, onto the show.
0: Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. You know, I started to prep for today's episode. I sat down and watched highlights from a Lakers-Celtics game from like February 1985. You know, I tell my colleagues all the time, I have the strangest browser history as I prep for these things. I assure you, this is going somewhere. Anyway, this wasn't the NBA Finals. It it wasn't a classic NCAA championship game. What what I wanted to get to the the root of was great competitors. So I wanted to see how the two greatest rivals in sports history treated just an ordinary february afternoon in the middle of a season both teams had locked up their playoff positions both were on the top of their conferences both were destined or ready for the nba finals and they had just appeared in the nba finals the season before which the celtics had won and so they were featured in commercials all over tv this was them at their apex and here they were still rivaling magic scores 37 dishes 13 assists larry bird has 33 and 15 rebounds a fight nearly breaks out and the lakers win by six When Magic talks about the rivalry, he said it rekindled his fire for basketball. At least one, if not the two, played in every NBA finals of the 80s. Competition. It makes everyone stronger. The financial advisor, the CPA, the wealth manager across the street isn't your enemy. He's your greatest asset for success. Many businesses, owners, they they fear the competition. But the savvy entrepreneur knows that healthy competition is by no means a reason to panic. It's a good thing. And today, I'm joined by two industry icons, Jeff of Stratus, and Paul Sagany of Integrated Partners. From the outside looking in, these two people aren't supposed to know each other. They aren't supposed to like each other. They aren't supposed to support each other. But these two guys are, are not the norm. They get it. The competition is good. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. So I guess you guys have probably been compared to um, Magic and
2: Bird before. So this is not a first, right, Paul? Oh, well, let me first say, uh, being a Boston guy, uh, for many, many years, I got to bring my son to Celtics games. And so I love how you opened that up, Matt, because I'm a huge Larry Bird fan. And certainly watching him for so many years was just incredible. But I have to correct you, buddy. uh, There is no way that I see Jeff as a rival. Jeff is a dear friend and mentor to me and certainly someone that I have known since, what, 2003. And so just the opposite of a rival that Larry Bird and Magic Johnson had, you know, we would not be where we are today without my friendship with Jeff and without Jeff at some very important times in my life kind of pointing me in the right direction. So I don't throw some water on the idea of rivals, but I see Jeff has nothing like a rival at all, but just the opposite, a great friend and collaborator and and just a, someone who's been a, once again, a great mentor to me. So um, I don't know about you, Jeff, but you've certainly meant a lot to me in my life.
1: That's incredibly kind, but incredibly kind. I, I look at it the same way. I think um, I won't say that I'm not competitive. So I think it's a neat analogy. But interestingly, I don't think I'm competitive in business, in sports in any other aspect of life in a, in a ridiculous board game with family, I would rather die than lose almost I would call it a character flaw. But in business, I think I've somehow taken a different view. And think more about collaboration and sharing with friends and partners like Paul, uh, I guess probably with the notion, Matt, that there's enough business to go around and that we all become better by sharing and being open. Even if we, in some cases, end up seeding our greatest competition. Uh, I just still love the idea of, I think I just enjoy the industry so much. that so I love sharing and
0: collaborating more than competing from a business front. Let's dive into that word collaboration instead of competition. I mean, it's interesting because, again, there's all these words we use in this industry, things like you eat what you kill. And, you know, there's just this notion of like, you know, intensity. But you use the word collaboration more, Jeff. Why Why is that the word that's really sparked your energy and growth in this industry? I think that,
1: that in, in our shop and I would say in Paul's as well, we've been blessed to have more success than any of us have ever dreamed about. I have a lot of gratitude to the industry. I have a lot of gratitude to friends and partners. I've always thought about Paul as a partner when we were with the same organization or under the same umbrella and, and when we weren't. And I look at a lot of the success that I've achieved and the, and the results that I've been able to create wherever I've hung my hat. And a lot of that's come from learning from other folks. So I think I feel more encouraged to share uh, than I do to compete from a, from a business perspective. Again, it trickles into other aspects of life where I'd say I'm competitive to a point where it's a terrible flaw. It's a character flaw. But in business, I don't know. For whatever reason, I've never felt that way.
0: So Jeff started to get into it. Paul, tell me about your relationship. How did you and Jeff uh, start to get to know each other?
2: Yeah. So once again, as I mentioned, so back in around 2003, Matt, um, our broker dealer at the time was deciding to close up shop. So we had to make a decision where to go. And um, my career, fortunately, for a period of time, I was I was with a firm called Cigna Financial Advisors, which became uh, part of Lincoln Financial. And so, in 2003, I just started to talk to Lincoln once again about going back there. And um, you know, at that time, Jeff was in a senior leadership role at Lincoln. So, what we did, Matt, is we came into Lincoln as one of the first groups to join what would be deemed to be more of an independent channel at Lincoln Financial Advisors, and. You know, back in the day, Jeff was our liaison to Lincoln and certainly the person who kind of, you know, guided us within that new company to kind of find our way around. And that's how our friendship and working relationship started back in those days.
0: So Jeff, even at that time in 2003, you didn't see one another as rivals or you didn't see any advisors, other advisors as kind of the competition. What allowed you to kind of ultimately have that kind of confidence in what you were doing so that you didn't feel like... You had to go to war against the rival across the hall.
1: I think it's a mentality of sort of abundance versus scarcity, right? I mean, we, we have a very fierce competitor inside our enterprise, uh, inside the same uh, hybrid RIA environment that we work in. And it's someone who would looked to join us, it was a young guy. And he said, you know, he said, I got to be honest with you. I hope you feel flattered. I actually want to be you. I want to build something like you built. And I continued to sort of share our information and materials, knowing that they would likely be a formidable Competitor, I think that, but that mentality of abundance versus scarcity means if I lose, I was probably intended to lose. If our fit or culture or value prop is right, we're probably going to win. And there's so much activity um, and velocity around the independent space that every it seems like there's plenty of business for all of us to get our fair share of wins and grow successful, thriving organizations. And I think Paul's the exact same way. Uh, There are areas of the industry that his firm has just excelled in that I wouldn't even say that we're marginal at you take a look at the strategic alliances and CPA firms and uh, just some of the calling cards of, of integrated of his shop. Uh, And when people share best practices, you kind of rub off of each other. And, and the same way that you mentioned in that, you know, Celtics Laker challenge, people improve their game because they're around other folks that are skilled. It makes them elevate and everybody tends to become better as a result. And I think that's the way that I've always viewed it again, sort of driving or falling back to that uh, abundance versus scarcity mentality.
0: Paul with that idea of a abundance versus scarcity, you know, you've been always very generous with your thoughts, very generous with with what helps you down. You use it with a lot of the advisors to integrate it, but also across the industry. Tell me about that kind of confidence again to to not be fearful that somebody else is coming to eat your lunch.
2: I, I think Matt, when you think about it though, you know, with that phrase givers get. And so I think that if you if you want to put yourself in your own little world and see everybody as a competitor and and try to Figure things out all by yourself. It's going to be one very lonely. And number two, you will not see the kind of growth you could see if you entered more of a collaboration with other talented people. So, so I think with that idea that givers get mad, I think that to the extent that we're willing to give back and help others, that always comes back to us in spades. And so, you know, just I think about my relationship with Jeff and other people around the industry and how at the right time they really helped us make some very very important decisions. And so. You know, I think Matt, I think for all firms, I think to Jeff's point, competition is very healthy. It makes you get up earlier in the morning or work later at night, or maybe try to figure things out that otherwise other people would maybe walk away from. And that certainly that's the idea of healthy competition. But but I think that competition has to really be built around a really strong vision for what it is you're trying to build. Okay. Because you know, when you know what your vision is, you know where you're going, you can really lean on other people and on their talents to help you get to where you want to be at some point. And so so I think competition, once again, it it gets you up earlier and it keeps you really focused and, and keeps you driving. But it's the collaborations that I know a lot of us are out there doing in this industry. And when you think about it, isn't that what makes our industry very unique that we are so willing to collaborate? And my goodness, think of all these industry meetings we go to all the time and people are up there on stage sharing everything that they pretty much are doing within their firm. And I think that's a a great tribute to the financial services industry because we truly all lead with a client first mentality, and let's always do you know what's best for the client. And then when you back away from that, Matt, I think that's when you decide what organizations look like and how big they want to be, and what is their vision for where they want to grow. And so you know that's where once again Jeff has done an amazing job with Stratos and their vision and their growth has just been tremendous.
1: Yeah, hey man, I'm going to challenge. I'm going to challenge one concept, and that is the notion of Paul being generous. I think professionally, he's wildly generous, but I don't know the last time you went to either breakfast or lunch with him. He se- somehow conveniently <laughs> seems to forget his wallet. It's so oh crap! I I don't have. Do <laughs> you happen to have a credit card on you? And I don't know if it's intentional or not for someone to be that consistently forgetful. But so I do. I, I want to agree with you
2: that he's wildly collaborative <laughs> and generous
1: from a professional standpoint. But I think that guy still got his first communion money. He's hidden on it somewhere.
2: Oh, come um, on. Now, Jeff, you know, you're, my <laughs> big, you're the big brother in this relationship. You're my big brother. You have to, uh, <laughs> have to help me out a little bit here.
1: <laughs> absolutely. No, I'm, I'm absolutely teasing, but just trying to have fun. That's all. <laughs>
0: What people didn't notice was Paul showed off his dinosaur hands as you know he couldn't quite reach the <laughs> wallet there. Um, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff. Jeff, Paul used the word vision there, which I think is is really apropos because you've always had such a great vision for where you wanted to take Stratus. You know, you've had such incredible growth lately. What's always been kind of that strategy that's driver of that vision for you?
1: You know, I I don't think that anything that we've done, frankly, or that we're doing today is innovative or creative. I'd say it's all driven by listening, listening to peers, listening to the industry, listening to the clients that we serve, which in Paul's case, in my case, is really the advisor or the team. And they'll tell you what their pain points are. They'll tell you what their needs are. And I'll just give you one example. M&A has become an important part of our business. And I flew around. My mindset was always outworking the competition. I never thought I was smart, but I thought I was harder working. And I, I'm 70 or 80 meetings into these M&A conversations over a course of a year, and in very few cases were advisors wanting to sell their whole business. But the consistent, one consistent item, is most of them were worried that they didn't have the right number two. they were worried if something happened, not a planned exit, but sort of an untimely exit, and could they sort of disrupt their most valuable asset. And so in listening, you know, a light bulb went off saying, gosh, if people aren't ready to sell, but they're worried about these things, could we solve for that by maybe becoming a minority investor, and rather than having a deal to pitch, just solving for whatever their internal needs were, Uh, rather than kind of pitching a certain platform or blueprint, saying, hey, you tell us what you're trying to solve for, and you can become just a better version of yourself with our guidance rather than us trying to make your firm our firm. So it kind of falls back to vision in my perspective is really just good listening, listening to resources that advisors need, listening to challenges that they're having serving their clients and how can we help them solve for that listening to what entrepreneurs greatest fears are about sort of an untimely exit or protecting this valuable asset. So to me, vision is really nothing more than being a good listener and then adopting a strategy for what the marketplace is telling you that it wants or needs.
0: Paul, you, uh, if listening is Jeff's superpower, what do you see as kind of the superpower that you bring to the table here? You know, you've seen such incredible growth with what you've done at Integrated, the amazing work you've done with the CPA alliance. What's what's your superpower in all this?
2: Ooh, I like that word superpower. I think for for me, Matt, and certainly, you know, firms like Stratos and Jeff and other firms are so much further along than we are at at acquiring firms. It's something new that we're beginning this year and it's the early results are very exciting, but but they certainly have such a head start on that. But, you know, I think my superpower might be the fact that I have always been a successful advisor and I still have my advisory practice today. And so, you know, where I try to keep my ear to the ground and, and listen to advisors is, you know, being an advisor myself. And so, you know, that was the vision for this firm was to really lean on the success that I was having back in the day in in you mentioned C or Jeff mentioned our CPA program earlier. So the CPA for us is once again another collaborative relationship that allows financial advisors to work with clients that are five, 10, 15, 20 times larger than the client they typically work with today. And so, you know, so I think from a superpower standpoint, Matt, it's just understanding that client relationship that advisors have. Understanding how advisors want to grow their practice and understanding that there are times that advisors get intimidated or or maybe aren't as comfortable when they're working with the wealthiest of clients out there. And so, therefore, for us as a firm, it's making sure we have the capabilities to support them when they do get in front of these much larger clients from a CPA. And so, you know, I think, but for me, Matt, that superpower word really is just the fact that I am an advisor. I can sit down and talk to an advisor, you know, in terms of understanding what they have to deal with and do every single day. And, um, and Jeff's right. There, it's a changing industry and the average age of the typical financial advisor is changing. And I'm sure these advisory practices are becoming much larger and much more complicated than the advisor imagined they would ever become. And so, therefore, you know, that's why firms like Stratos and Integrated Partners exist. It's, it's all about us helping that advisor understand they want to take their own practice in five or 10 years and helping them accomplish that goal by using our size and strength, and I think that's really, I think a super part of that both of us share, Jeff and I. Jeff, you used the word abundance earlier. There's just an abundance of opportunities here. There's
0: abundance of advisors to work with. Who do you look at as kind of that ideal advisor for Stratus? It's an interesting question, and when you talk to
1: intermediaries, folks who kind of help on the business development side, and when you talk to broker-dealers and custodians, when you talk in sort of the M&A space and... I think by nature we want to you know advisors put their clients into certain brackets and the industry puts firms into certain brackets and for better or worse i think for better uh, one of the things that's fueled our growth matt going back to that earlier question is that we cast a really wide net in the last 30 days we brought on an advisor that we were thrilled to bring on who had 40 million dollars in assets and you're not going to hear about that because it's not newsworthy but advisor hub put an article out today about Jason Howard, who runs a fantastic team with Wells in Utah, who just brought over three quarters of a billion dollars in assets, and it's not often, I don't think, that you find a firm that, a week apart, brings on an advisor with forty million and an advisor with a three-quarter billion dollar, you know, asset team. So we we cast a fairly wide net there. I think where, if you ask, maybe if I rephrase that slightly, where we're successful is advisors who are, and I think this could be true in Paul's case as well, one of the reasons that he's done so well with integrated, it's culture and support driven. So for an advisor who's looking exclusively for nothing more than payout, and that's not a bad thing, by the way, they, they may not view the world as abundance, and they've got to squeeze as much as they can out of what they have, we probably are not a good fit. Where I would say we are a good fit or an ideal advisor is someone who values collaboration, resources, support, and has an eye towards growth because there's a cost for all of our infrastructure. It's not that it's not like Paul's shop, extremely competitive payout-wise, but there are others who will pay more. So I think the ideal advisor for us, be they 40 or 50 million or a billion in assets, uh, is someone who values collaboration, culture, flexibility, and has an eye towards growth because they could leverage 80-plus employees that we have now in many ways, including M&A support, by the way to help them grow. And I think the very same thing is true on the MA and a front. We, the transaction that we just signed a letter of intent on here in Florida yesterday, $50 million in assets. I'm flying overseas on Monday for a $4.3 billion acquisition that we're taking a, a majority stake in. So again, it's sort of an almost bizarre or unusually wide net uh, that others might think rep- would you know, represent a lack of focus. In our case, I think it's really flexibility. So anything under 100 or 150 million by way of M&A, we're typically pushing into one of our partner's offices. We're not doing those directly, but that allows us to do a tuck in at $75 million and be really meaningful if it's going under a $200 million advisors team. And then, you know, something maybe in the 200 to 250 million range and up being an ideal, you know, to use that term candidate for us from an acquisition standpoint. It's a, it's a pretty, pretty broad spectrum.
2: And I know, Jeff, you, you guys have always done a tremendous job at helping your advisors acquire practices for their own practice. And um, you've been doing seminars and educational events. And you even spoke to our group years ago about, you know, the benefits and in, in kind of the blocking and tackling around bringing a practice into another practice. I think that's always been a really, a really uh, great foundational building block for Stratos over the years as well.
1: Which you, which you try to have a calling card and be known, right? And In the strategic alliance arena, I don't know a firm in the United States that executes better than Paul and integrated. I mean, they've mastered that CPA conversation. They've mastered the structure. And I've tried, you know, and it, we've just never had a lot of success. You know, people get excited when you sign the deal. Your work hasn't even started yet. It's culturally teaching the CPA from how to refer and getting the buy-in. We fail there and integrated has done it well. Our, on our front, the MA has been a point of differentiation and something that's helped propel our teams the same way that Paul has used his great success at integrated with strategic alliances to grow his organization.
0: Hmm. And you both use the word culture there. And it's interesting because, you know, from the inside looking out, I can see two gentlemen too that are, you know, that are willing to kind of put their egos aside to kind of help, you know, and, and, and. That always that that culture rings true. I always say people that don't use the word culture a lot usually have a culture that's that really thrives. You know, Paul, talk to me about kind of that culture that you've really built at Integrated and how it's um, really done such a great job and really thriving here.
2: Well, it's funny. I think we keep throwing the same terms around, Matt. But it's it's once again. I like what Jeff said. It's about just listening and understanding what the advisor, what he or she is looking to do with their business model. And especially early on, making sure that we're bringing in the right people to our culture. And so it's it's important to say no to many, many people before you find that one right person that's you know correct for our organization. And so you know it's never been our stated goal to be the biggest group out there in the world, but certainly we know we have a an amazing impact on helping advisors grow their practice. And so you know I think Matt, as we meet some tremendously talented advisors out there and understand where they want to take their practice, we're just always trying to figure, does our story and what we excel at, does it fit into what they have for their own personal vision for their practice? And so, you know, nothing makes these cultural, you know, uh, models fall apart than if you've got an advisor with a different culture than the firm or a different vision for where they want to take their practice. And so, you know, once again, I think you're talking to two of us and Jeff and myself that we we, we truly know where we're going. We know what the vision is, not only for our firms, but for the advisors that affiliate with our firms. And then, you know, if you just bring in good people, people you like to sit around and talk with and, and hang out with, and if you keep bringing in really nice people that share your vision, then that culture really does grow and build upon itself, doesn't it? That's kind of how the whole whole game works here. But I think certainly, and, you know, being very selective has to who you bring in the door and making sure that that there's shared not only vision, but, you know, just the 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 way the morals of the individuals and the likability factor and all those things have to play in. Because I know for us, our advisors really do get to know each other and they're always sharing ideas through either a study group masterclass. And so therefore, it's important that we have people who respect each other. And when those classes are over, call me and say, wow, I just met so-and-so from wherever. And what a great person, what a great addition to integrated partners. And they really made a difference for me personally. And so, you know, getting those kind of calls from me, Matt, tells me that the culture is going in the right direction. That's why that is so important for us.
0: Jeff, how about you? What What's the key to the great culture at Stratus?
1: I think it's a term that we used a number of times earlier. It's collaboration. It's It's sort of the antithesis of what people think about in sort of the wire slash you know bank model, where people are fiercely, another word we've been talking about today, competing with each other. People locking their doors and they fight over clients and where I think inside of our network, I find people readily sharing best practices, reaching out and doing joint work with other folks, almost like a CPA firm, identifying competency that a team has in, in Chicago or in, or in Connecticut or somewhere else. Cause it's someone works with executives. Someone does ESOP work. We have a team, uh, this Pennsylvania and Cleveland based. They work exclusively with managing balance sheets for credit, credit unions, these little niche type solutions. So I think it's just the openness, the sharing. Uh, and then the real focus on entrepreneurship as well. So we've, we've had a tremendous focus on increasing the value of our enterprise. Most of our key stakeholders have owned equity for a long time. We try to get them very oriented and focused on their own equity. Um, uh, because again, I think the mentality of an FA is they think about income. They think about cash flow. They don't think about balance sheet. The reality of it is if they're thoughtful about how they run their business, uh, they can really create an asset of, of massive and tremendous value. Uh, And something that could be enduring as well, even continue after they're gone. So I think those are some of the key calling cards when we think about culture, collaboration, sharing, and really a focus on reinvestment and entrepreneurship in our business as we serve them and in their business as they look to serve their clients.
0: So Paul, now, as you kind of look ahead here at what's next, you know, so much has changed in the industry in the past 12 months. What do you think is going to be the biggest impact on the RA space? From the pandemic in the last two years, and and where are we headed from here?
2: Uh, from the pandemic, well, I, I think Matt, the way that I think I and our firm looks at the whole, you know, last couple of years here is certainly adopting things like Zoom technology and the fact that we can work with our clients remotely and. You know, we can have even now add more talent to our organization from a remote standpoint. So I think that when I look at what Zoom has done for our organization, where we've got advisors in Chicago working with CPAs in Florida and financial advisors out here in Boston working in conjunction on a case with with a client out in San Diego. You know, for us, that that the technology out there is like a travel machine or, or a time machine, and it really has made us so much more efficient and effective out there. So You know, so if the question is, what's the pandemic's biggest impact, I think one, it's really made us appreciate working together. You know, we've kind of held hands throughout these last couple of years and we've all figured out a way to not just survive, but my goodness, when you look at the industry as a whole, the, 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 like Jeff's wrote, the thriving and the growth of advisor practices have been amazing during a very difficult time throughout the entire country. You know, I think for us, you know, Matt, just learning from the use of technology Learning how to work remotely, that's been important for our organization as well. And keeping in mind that the people who work in this organization have their own families and their own personal work relationship to our organization, which has certainly changed over the years. And so, yeah, so I think the pandemic for us, it's allowed us to really accelerate our growth, Matt, because we can use technology to do things inside of our CPA partner firms that we could not have done two or three years ago. And that's really been a huge benefit for us.
0: Jeff, what do you think? What's next? What's ahead?
2: I think a couple of things. I think Paul hit on some really good stuff. I think
1: we got far more proficient with technology. Uh, we learned very quickly uh, how to communicate with ourselves as a team, and as well as with client with our client, which is the advisor. And we had a ton of communication with end clients, which we never do. During the throes of the pandemic, we myself and uh, our our two CIOs were offering daily calls, just sort of navigating. And it wasn't all about the markets; it was about just sort of in general, uh, trying to not have too much of a knee-jerk reaction, talking about the virus and updates and its effect on the market and all those things. So I think communication increased and we became better communicators internally and externally. Uh, a takeaway should have been, you know, preparedness. You saw a lot of firms that we'd been in such good and healthy markets for so long, weren't prepared. So preparedness was important. And I sort of liken that to the notion of the difference between an advisor and a CEO. An advisor, going back to what I talked about earlier, they just distribute cash flow. A CEO should have retained earnings. So if you have a quarter or a couple quarters where your billings are down, it's inconsequential. You've got dry powder. Year after year, you have retained earnings. You're building up this nest egg. And when others are sort of Scary and waters get choppy. You know, you've got rations, you've got provisions, and and you're prepared for some bumpy waters. So I think that's a takeaway. The markets aren't always good. Things will be challenging. The weird thing about the pandemic was not only was there market volatility, but there was social concern and health concern and. All these other implications. So I just think being fiscally responsible, learning how to communicate, and then really understanding this whole realm of flexibility, as Paul said about technology and how we communicate it as an organization with our own internal constituents, how they can, you know, communicate with their clients, and maybe the non-business aspect of it uh, is just a reprioritization. I think a lot of people um, sought maybe more of a, a balance and maybe change their priorities to. People talked about the silver lining of they spent more time with their families, they didn't travel as much, uh, and more sort of connectivity with their teams, with family, et cetera. So I think there were some real positives that came out of it, Matt.
2: Hey Jeff, I know you've done an amazing job with acquisitions, and you know where do you see that going? You've had such a head start on so many of us, and and once again have done it so well. Do you have any thoughts on where the acquisition models will go in the next couple of years?
1: You know, it's, it's interesting. You, you've got this dynamic of a lot of money being available from you know, private equity and a lot of firms now like yours and ours that are bringing on financial partners. And because capital is out there, the, the risk is that people overpay. I'm in, you know, I'm in Florida right now. What's happened to real estate is mind-blowing and it's incomprehensible. And I'm, I have a value orientation. It's the way that I grew up. And Paul, you, you did very much the same way. I don't know how someone would pay $2 million for a home today that 27 months ago, sold for $872,000. Just it's incomprehensible. The same thing I think is happening to a degree with wealth management firms because there's so much capital out there because there's such an appetite because people love the consistency of cash flows uh, because there's no CapEx. We're not out spending $4 million on the newest manufacturing equipment. These are not really capital intensive businesses. There's an attraction there. And that attraction is driving up prices. Uh, so I think the key for shops like ours that are thoughtful and good stewards is how to win and be buyers based on a lot of the stuff we've talked about today, values, alignment, culture, and collaboration, and not price very much the same way. I think Stratus and integrated run our models, uh, driving with that as as opposed to the highest payout. So I think there'll be room, but I think there are a lot of people that are prone to be overpaying for real estate in this fervor, which is never healthy because things will normalize. And there's also a fervor where people may end up overpaying for wealth management practices that with a correction in the markets or a normalization of values might at the end of the day be less enthralled You know, two years from now with what they bought and what they paid for today. So I just think we need to be mindful.
0: This has been just an incredible conversation, guys. I, I, I thank you both. My, my, my last question, though, always comes from my 10-year-old son, CJ. I told him how excited I was for today's conversation with two industry icons, and it got CJ and I discussing what an icon and a legend is. So CJ asked, what do you think of when you think of the word legendary? He thinks of Pokemons. But what do you think of when you say the word legend? Who do you consider a legend? Paul, I'm going to ask you first. do you consider a legend
2: oh goodness gracious i mean from sports legends to business ledgers legends family members friends um you mentioned larry legend earlier by the way larry bird would certainly be a legend in the in the world of sporting events but you know i guess matt when you first said that i guess the person who came to my mind for me who is a personal legend in addition to my family members my parents and brothers and sisters who kind of guided me along the way but you know dan sullivan dan sullivan and strategic coach program um been doing that for now over 25 years, and it taught me how to be a better entrepreneur, how to be a better mentor to other financial advisors who also want to be entrepreneurs. And so, I think, Matt, if I take the angle, a legend in the business sense for me, it certainly would be the work that Dan Sullivan has done and how he's impacted. I just think so many of us, me included, as to be teaching us to be better entrepreneurs and teaching us to be careful of our time and and certainly foster collaborative relationships, not only in our industry, Matt, but I learned so much from other entrepreneurs and other industries that I can bring back here. It certainly has worked well for me. So I hope that fits your mold there, but I would say Dan Sullivan for me has been legendary. How's that?
0: Uh, absolutely. Jeff, what What do you think? Who do you consider to be a legend?
1: I wish you hadn't said Pokemon because I feel like I have to make a, a guilty confession that that was very popular when my son was growing up and he enjoyed <laughs> them. And then if you probably know this, uh, depending on, you said your son is 10 years old. Now, Pokemon yeah. Go became popular probably a half dozen years ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think somehow I either learned about it and it could have been through one of my nephews or godsons. And I was fooling around with it for a month and my godson stopped and somehow I kept on doing it. And my son's like, dad, 10 year olds have stopped doing that. You got to get that damn thing off your phone. If anybody sees you, this is incredibly embarrassing. (laughs) So I too like Pokemon, just like your son. But if I, if I think about the industry, maybe two references, Mm -hmm. um, If I think about the custodial side, two guys come to mind, one who I've known longer than the other, but Mark Taburgeon, I think, was just a wildly smart guy and an academic and just uh, a great thinker in our industry. So I always enjoyed watching him and listening to him and maybe a, a peer or contemporary of his, Sanjeev Merchandani at Fidelity, who I consider a very dear friend and just a great thinker in the industry, really bright and intuitive. And just rather than thinking about how things are done, I think those two guys think about how things could be done. Another guy who comes to mind, and it's weird to say this because we're in a study group together and he's he's become a very good friend, but I think he was just ahead of the curve in his thinking as Ron Carson. You think about people who are sort of iconic in our space, and Ron is just well-known and regarded for his private practice and then some of the other ancillary businesses that he built around that, but just a, a thinker and an implementer. So those are a few folks, Matt, that I would say that I appreciate and sort of look up to and respect in the industry.
0: Absolutely. well. You know, I consider both of you guys icons in this space. I appreciate today's conversation so much. My favorite footnote of the Magic Larry conversation is always when they joined forces on the Dream team in 92 and how they were such huge leaders and parts of that, but also were great mentors to uh, Michael Jordan and the other young players on that team. Um, that's always my favorite footnote that when competitors can kind of collaborate like that. And that's really one of the big themes of today is collaboration and listening. And if I've learned anything, it's that uh, you should never stop doing either of those things. Paul, Jeff, thank you both so much for a great conversation today. It's been awesome. Thank you too. Thank, thank you, Matt. A lot of fun. Thank much. you so much. Yeah. yeah I appreciate it. That. Well, that's been another great episode of Perfectly Integrated for Integrated Partners. I'm Matt Ackerman. Have a great day. Content in this material is for general information only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Integrated Partners, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from LPL Financial. Jeff Concepcion with Stratus Wealth Partners, Integrated Partners, and LPL Financial are separate entities. LPL Financial is not affiliated with any of the named entities.